Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Dr. Christina Mathis. She advises statewide educational technology efforts as a digital equity broadband coordinator for the Colorado, California Department of Education, addressing Superintendent Thurman's Closing the Digital Divide initiative. Christina's experience in education spans from classroom teaching to executive director to leading change and project management across public and private schools. She is an ESL multilingual speaker and published author. Christina's expansive experience expertise fosters her collaborative holistic approach to propel instructional opportunities so that we prepare students to live, work, and thrive in a multicultural, multilingual, and highly connected world as per the California DOE mission. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. Thank you so much, Dana. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so used to talking about the Colorado Department of Ed, and you guys are also the CDE. <laughs> so um, we'll talk a lot about the Colorado Department of Ed in our conversation today and your work with them. But let's dive right in and um, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, as we know, education is ever evolving. We have standards, we've got credentials and certifications, but even with that, things change all the time. And so needs change and we we have to adapt along with that evolution. And so like you had mentioned, I started out as a high school English teacher. And with that, it was all things writing and literature. And what came apparent was the fact that literacy spans cross-curricular, right? And so it really taught me how you can't just teach within your own four walls of a classroom, the the need to collaborate across curriculum is, is necessary. And so that's when um, it almost became a bit more fun when I collaborated with science teachers and math teachers and looking at how can we expand the the literacy for all students across all curriculum? So that's, you know, that was the start of it all. And then from there, the the use of technology in, in instruction and learning really evolved. And so looking at how to thoughtfully, meaningfully incorporate tech within teaching and learning came about. And then from there, it was just this natural, it felt like a natural progression um, of then exploring other options within the field of education, right? It's, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's just a huge misconception that if someone says, oh, I work in education, that that automatically means you're a teacher, you're an administrator. There are so many facets to education that people don't think about, whether that's help desk, whether that's IT, whether that's curriculum development, professional development trainers, providers, whether that's HR, payroll, it's it's so expansive. And so um, when I uh, 
really got into the educational technology aspect of teaching mm -hmm. and supporting teachers and staff and administrators on tech systems in schools, it really became apparent of how necessary it is to have those conditions and structures in place if we are really going to have everybody set up for success mm -hmm. in what they're doing. And so those were part of those trenches where really taking a step back and looking at what do people need to be set up for success mm -hmm. without negating and minimizing their already established levels of experience and expertise. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was just a huge realization that we, we are, we are, some might say over-credentialed and over-degreed and over-paperworked with all these different certifications. Um, and so we can't assume that people don't know something. It's thinking about how are we supporting people, but then also leveraging your in-house experts to yeah. also further the the knowledge growth and 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 support so um so many areas to that front um but sticking to your question about you know moving from one trench to another uh it really um i felt as though i had reached not necessarily a limit or capacity, but my opportunity to grow at uh, one school district that I was at, I thought, you know, I have learned so much. I have grown so much. I have been guided and mentored to the point where I felt like I wanted to spread my wings elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And, and try it out on my own, so to speak. And there was a great opportunity then that arose for me to move from quite a large school district and diverse mm -hmm. school district to one independent school that truly needed help and support in a, a, you know, a whole new systems implementation, a whole database overhaul, right? And... Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much where my professional growth had led me, right? From classroom teacher to now supporting the efforts of project and change management. And so um, took on this project for a year, had a great time doing it. It was a successful implementation. But by the end of that one year, um, I had been able to spread my wings but after that, the project was done. And yeah. I thought, okay, where do I go from here? Because that, you know, it, it wasn't, um, it, it just wouldn't have made sense for me to stay at that school because the objective was met. And so I then had this, I had this like, I don't know bout of sleepless nights because the anxiety kicked in and I'm like oh my gosh yeah. what am I going to do now like where am I going from here yeah. and um started talking with people and uh 
it, it was like the, the universe aligned itself right there. And then that there was an email that came through from a, a friend and, and well, I'll just say colleague and yeah. we're hiring and mm-hmm. it went from working at schools and then over into um, the, the corporate world. And I hadn't done that before. And that was just a whole shift in how to, how to work essentially going from a school or school district into the corporate world, still working with schools and had a great portfolio of schools, but it was just a different way of functioning. And so everything that I learned there helped me grow even more, which was amazing because again, like if I stayed at that one large school district, I wouldn't have had this opportunity to try things out on my own and now try things you know, on my own, but now learning in a different way in a completely different environment. So, um, but then unexpectedly, um, there was uh, an unpredicted, you know, um, layoff, essentially. It was, you know, the, the fall, what was it, the fall of 22? where there were in, in California, um, at least in the Bay Area, there was just this huge movement of layoffs that started to happen, whether it was in, I mean, primarily in the tech fields, but across many organizations. And as it so happens, I was part of that. And it was unexpected and unpredicted. And I don't do well with that. I tried. Yeah right like being a project manager and a change manager try to kind of like plan things out contingency plans if something doesn't work out and there was no backup there was no contingency plan and I'm like what is happening here and so I would say that was the biggest trench for 11 months Mm -hmm. not having a a, a source of employment Mm -hmm. and um I had some amazing opportunities to freelance and to support and to consult. And it was wonderful just to, you know, keep me going, but um, it really freaked me out. I mean, that was a trench where I was like thrown into and I had no idea how to climb out of there. Sure. And I, I I was panicking, I was searching, and finally some one day somebody said, you know what, just stop. Yes. Just, just breathe, just hang on a second, take a step back, relish in this moment. I'm like, what do you yeah. mean? I don't have a salary, I don't have benefits, yeah. I want my 401k or sure. you know, whatever. Like what, you know, it's all the adulting things that like yeah. really matter. It's like, What's my retirement plan? What are my benefits? Like I had none of that. And um, and he said, well, just hang on. What is it that you actually want to do? Like take this opportunity of not having something to really reflect on what you actually want to do. And um, and that's when uh as hard as it was, I I followed that advice and um and this amazing opportunity with the California Department of Education arose to, I, I, you know, still work in the field of education at the state level to support the the efforts of digital equity at 
the foundation of it, of connectivity mm -hmm. and broadband. And because it's there, there was a great quote circulating around recently of internet is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Like, it's not a question of should we have it? Do we have it? You have to have it, whether it's at school or at home at this point. And so I am just honored and privileged to be able to help these efforts and contribute to the efforts of making sure that each and every one of our K-12 students in California has not only the opportunity to connect, but to connect in an affordable way and to, I would say, <laughs> have that quality, high quality connectivity, which is huge because, I mean, you can't, like, that's great that you're connected, but let's make sure you don't lose that connection and you have the, that internet. So um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. And it feels like it's been a whirlwind in these last couple of years, but I, it feels like I've climbed out of that trench and, and yeah. in a great environment that is so supportive with nice people. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's definitely like working with people that you get along with and that, you know, are supportive. <laughs> it goes a long way. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to ask a little bit more about that broadband uh, connectivity, because, of course, that was a big concern. Uh, during the pandemic when people were remote. So living in California, um, are you looking mostly at rural areas? Are you looking at reservations? What are the areas that still are lacking um, a lot of the high-speed internet? Hugh, yeah, that's that's exactly what we were just talking about um, this week, even at the site conference, the California IT and Education conference that took place in Sacramento. Um, we are doing really well in getting schools connected. Schools are connected for the most part. Yeah. The um, urban areas are connected super easy, right? The heavily populated areas are connected super easy. The areas that we are continuing to find challenges and obstacles and, and struggles are rural California areas. Um, in addition to our tribal reservation areas, um, they're getting connected. But I would say right now, um, there are two areas that come to mind. One is um, in and around Central Valley um, and the San Benita area. And then also in the, and that's more in the, the Southern area of California. Um, and then the white Northern California. People say, oh, NorCal, Northern California, that's the Bay Area, Sacramento. No, it's everything North of Sacramento. Yeah. Okay. Sacramento. Um, and so um, to the point where we have uh, our amazing director of uh, technology um, located in Shasta County, but Shasta County serves everything then north up to the Oregon border and just above because okay. there isn't that um, densely populated region that could have its own county of education offices, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is uh, Trinity County, for instance, that is 
not connected. Okay. Many schools do not have that connectivity. And so it's thinking about, well, why? And the, the main reason is because of the geographic location. It's okay. the the inability to dig and to lay down the necessary cabling. Um, what is reassuring is that Google ran its fiber up and down one of the highways through Trinity County, and that's great, but there aren't the necessary cell towers, for instance, okay. to get connected. And so then it's thinking about how can we work with the local libraries um, and making sure that libraries are connected and then schools can collaborate with libraries. Um, So we're looking at that. There's a California State Library grant right now uh, application process out there. And so how might schools and libraries come come together a bit more and, and leverage those funding opportunities? Because if I mean, it, it, it almost sounds like a, a double-edged sword, right? You need yeah. the fund to make it happen, but then you also need the correct conditions and the geography to make it happen. And so, sure. you know, how, how can you meet in the middle and make it happen to get those students connected? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting to me. It makes me think about um, 20 years ago, I worked in a rural area in Norway and they were talking about laying the fibers for that rural area, but I mean, it's a smaller country, but there's a lot of mountains and everything too. But it's just like thinking that you're still, you have these areas in California that, you know, have maybe geographical challenges because of just the topography and everything, but like that we're still grappling with this, right? Um, Like most people, like you would expect have some type of a cell connectivity and maybe can do some work off of the cell signal. But like you said, if there's not enough towers in those areas either, we can't expect students to access um, the necessary work and be able to complete things if they're going to lose the cell connectivity as well. So, Exactly. And recently, the uh, newly appointed chairwoman of the FCC did say, yes, we could put Wi-Fi on buses, on school buses and, and drive the, the school buses around. And, and that's great. Uh, and it would be E-rate eligible, which is yeah. amazing. However, if you have that school bus that is Wi-Fi compatible and there is no signal to catch that Wi-Fi, then that school bus, it, it defeats the purpose. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's it's an interesting topic to really um, try to understand because we take it for granted uh, when we're living in cities and we've had no issue with connectivity for, you know, two decades plus, right? And the fact is that some of these schools are still looking at the screens and and things are taking forever to download, like at that school I worked at 20 years ago, right? Where I was, because I was so used to living in cities even 20 years ago and not having internet like connectivity issues. And then like when you can't, you're trying to make plans and you're trying to access things as a teacher and you can't get pages to download like that is frustrating as an educator as well (laughs) exactly exactly yeah super frustrating but I mean I Dana I will also say to that then yeah yeah uh this is now more of a philosophical point of view here but what are we doing about the expectations of homework you know and and let's be real that how 
how often are students assigned homework that is still viewed as busy work? Yep. And and how are we cognizant of when we assign homework to students who have responsibilities outside of the school, whether that's working at mom and dad's restaurant or another family business, or they are, you know, they're the oldest sibling in the household and they are expected to care for the younger siblings because parents are working two, three, sometimes even four jobs and homework is just not a priority. So we have to take a look at that and, and, you know, is it, you know, what is what is it actually serving? So I know that there are multiple schools of thought on this, you know, whether it's the the scholarly research that really, I mean, does homework actually improve academic outcomes or, you know, and, and all the schools of thought, but we have to be real that this day and age, students do not, their lives don't only revolve around attending school. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. There's a lot, lot that can be said around that topic as well, but we're going to yeah. move on and talk about a book that is coming out. So you're also working with Darren Peppard and Road to Awesome. Um, and back in September, you told me your working title was Guiding Transformational Change in Education. It's yeah. still in the editing process. So talk to me a little bit about this book and when you might expect it to come out. And oh my God. Yeah, no, thanks for, for bringing that up. It's super exciting. Uh, yes, guiding transformational change in education is in the final editing stages. It is actually out for praise at this moment. Um, if, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for some great praise to come in in the next few days by the deadline. Um, and it's... Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, and it's a book that is, it's more of a guidebook. It's more of a playbook. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I had found in my evolution of roles in education was that this podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. In, in the process of adapting and needing to change and to whether it's modernize a system or to develop policy and process and procedure, that that involves time and that involves bringing people together to the table. You can't just flip a switch and expect a change to just automatically take hold. And what I learned over time was that even though educators, administrators, we're all educators, right? Teachers, staff, anybody working within a school, we're all educators. Um, the educators are not formally trained in project management or change management. That's and true. what ends up happening, especially in the field of, of educational technology, for instance, instructional technology, informational technology, um, there's a desire to just put in a new system or, or you know, yeah. password, even something like, oh, we got to change our passwords, right? Um, it just doesn't 
happen overnight and, sure. and all the reasons and whatever those reasons are. And so what I did in my market analysis was find and, and say, right, like change happens in education, but there aren't people who are trained to make that change happen successfully. And so I took sure. the two fields together and merged them into this guidebook, so to speak. And hopefully it's it's user-friendly, something you could take and, and implement and bring in tomorrow into your, your workplace with some tips and tricks and life lessons of, of what works. But essentially it's the it's the art and the science of mm -hmm. guiding that change to happen, sure. right? Our structures and there are formulas and there are processes, but within that you have to be comfortable with the the nuances and the ebbs and the flows of what it means to work with the people and put the people first when change happens. And so um I'm I'm really excited for this to to be out and and made public for people and looking forward to to supporting people who want to make and need to make change in education. Yeah, and I see that as a very helpful tool cuz um you know there's not a ton of books about just kind of uh marrying the two, right? The change management process with um like what educators already know, right? Um, there's a lot of uh, talk, right? Always in schools, there's a lot of talk about what we need to do, but there's not always the follow through, right? So you could talk the talk, but not walk the walk. So. Well, right. Yeah. And even if there is the follow through to flip the switch and, and yeah. have that change actually, you know, happen, um, it's the reinforcement sure. that is often the afterthought um, sure. And even forgotten about um, if it's not even an afterthought, because um, what ends up happening is, OK, you know, go live has happened. Change has been implemented. The, the switch has been flipped. Sure. But then what are the the conditions and the structures and the supports in place to keep reinforcing that change. So it does become internalized so that it's not just talk anymore, but it's actually walking. It's actually doing it. It's actually becoming part of the, the culture and the climate of the school, of the district, of, of that environment. And so um, that is, I, I go a bit out of order uh, so very traditional change managers, if if they read this book, they'll actually see that um, it doesn't necessarily go in that linear fashion um, because I highlight the need for the reinforcement piece. What do you have in terms of, uh, you know, tier one support, tier two support, tier three support? Sure. It's like, yes, the how-to, but then eventually people will get to the point of, so what else can I do with this change? Um, and, and thinking about what are those ongoing uh, training opportunities or you know whether it's in person or on demand, synchronous, asynchronous, do you have just a one-stop shop 
FAQ page or do you have the two-way communication set up where people can continue to provide feedback? So just something, you know, it sounds simple, but most schools and districts don't put in say the the very periodic intentional feedback gathering after a change has taken place. So what do you have, you know, yeah. one month after the change or three months after the change, nine months, a year after the change yeah. so that you could see are there needs for process improvement, right? So um, that's that's one of the, the bigger chunks of um, of the book. And then, yeah, even just in and throughout, it's what's worked and what hasn't because it hasn't been all unicorns and rainbows and, and smiley faces along the way. You know, I mean, there's, I'll call out times where I'm like, oh, I really screwed that up. Sure. But this is how we came together and made it work in, in, in a better way. So. Yeah, yeah. 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 Excited to have that come out. And, you know, I, I know you've been uh, working on this uh, for several years before you started looking for publishers. So I'm glad it's kind of in the final stages and people will be able to access your thoughts on uh, just, you know, change management in schools and how to do it better, right? How to actually get things off the ground. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, and even when I've um, presented on the, on the topic of communications, it's, you know, sending an email isn't enough to communicate sure. what other platforms. And, and so when I've presented on, on just the topic of, of communications, I've been able to, you know, just have the conversations of what others have done and sure. their ideas, right? Because we have to draw on each other. We, we all try, uh, we can't do this in isolation. We need to work together and, and, we're not the only, you know, one school isn't the only one trying to make a change happen. Who else has been trying to make change and what have they done that's worked? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so talking about speaking engagements or presentations, um, will you be presenting um, at any conferences in the early spring or summer that you know of, or is it mostly related to your current position? Oh, absolutely. Um, so right now, uh, I just had the pleasure of presenting, collaboratively presenting on the current state of broadband in California at the site conference. And then coming up in the spring, um, I won't necessarily be presenting on my book or my, my personal work at this point, if you will. It'll be primarily on the professional California DOE uh, topics. And so I'll be at the Scenic Conference in Monterey in March, along with Spring Q immediately following. Nope, actually, I have those two in reverse. Spring Q in Palm Springs comes before Scenic in Monterey. Uh, both of those are in March. Um, looking at uh, potentially a conference in April, not sure yet, uh, but that's what's coming up. Um, I feel like I'm missing something in February. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but that's what's coming up in, in um, at least in March. Okay. Yeah. No, it's always good to have a position where you're able to kind of speak about what your projects are that you're working with to the larger audience to kind of 
you know, bring that news out. That's, uh, you know, podcast with one medium, but having those sessions at a conference as well. And I get you where you're talking about not always being able to talk about your personal work. Um, I've had a few sessions at some conferences about my book that was published exactly a year ago tomorrow. So. Congratulations. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Thanks. <laughs> book anniversary, right? So I'll be book anniversary. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it's a lot of it when I do present presentations as well, it has to tie to a academic or, you know, social emotional thing. So, right. Um, and, but I draw upon my yeah. experience, right? So, right now, it's thinking about continuing to get the word out on the affordable connectivity program that yeah. is a federally funded program that allows eligible households to get connected at a, a discounted rate. And again, thinking about, you know, email isn't the only way to communicate. And so bringing in those creative efforts of how else can we communicate and, and bring attention to something. So uh, I, I definitely draw upon what is in my book, in my professional life, in my current role. But uh, yeah, sticking to conferences and presentations related to California DOE. So on your website, uh, you have a blog as well. Um, do you still publish it weekly? And what is it called? And what are some of the topics you write about? Oh, great. Um, yes. So um, I have uh, consultedevelopment.org. Mm -hmm. And there you can find my contact information and more information about the 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 book that is guiding transformational change in education there's a, a bit of a pitch on there more to to come as as the release date gets closer um in addition to my blog which uh, i'll admit i haven't necessarily been keeping up on um lately just because of the the new work role and and that's kind of taken precedence on on the writing piece but also just focusing on the book and, and finishing the edits there. But with that, the, the blog itself is called Life Lessons Learned and really taking my experiences in the workforce, in the work field, and just honing in on one specific experience, one specific topic, and just writing a reflection on it, whether, you know, and, and like, here's the, the backstory to what happened. I try to stay as objective as possible of, you know, just providing that background context and then sharing out what happened and then concluding with, so this is my takeaway. This is what I've learned. This is what I'm going to do going forward, right? Or just some food for thought, um, mm -hmm. usually within, you know, about a page or two of, of reading. And um, it's, I'll, I'll say that it's been more for my personal professional reflection, just so that I can take a moment and take a step back and really sure. reflect on a situation um, just so that I give it its its credence, right? I mean, everything deserves a bit of time, whether it's positive or negative, right? Because ideally from those negative, you can grow and you can draw upon your positive experiences to, to turn the negative around. So um, I hope to get back into that blog environment once the, the book is released 
and and continue continue on that journey. Yeah, yeah. So people can at least access blog posts that you've written um, and hopefully some upcoming blog posts. Uh, I know that takes a lot of time to get all the editing done and, you know, those bits and pieces uh, when you're about to launch a book. So, um, yeah. well, uh, we've had a great conversation about your work with um, providing broadband um, to areas that still uh, do not have great connectivity. Uh, we've talked a lot about your changes um, in your roles and kind of navigating those changes and your book, as well as speaking engagements. Um, out of everything we've talked about, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Don't jump to conclusions. Mm -hmm. um, take a moment to breathe. It helps. It helps to regulate and be inclusive when it comes to making the change happen, to making decisions, be as inclusive as possible. We can't do this by ourselves. Yeah, that's so great to remember. Um, where can people connect with you and find you online? You mentioned your website. Um, what social media are you on? Yes, absolutely. Uh, currently, I would say the best place to find me is on my LinkedIn page. Uh, it's pretty simple with Christina Mattis um, in that URL. And um, I would say that is, is the best place right now. I'm also on Instagram, but that's mainly just for my personal uh, posts, uh, but professionally, definitely LinkedIn. Okay. Well, it was great having you on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. Um, I wish you um, luck in the coming weeks with your final edits and uh, putting everything out and the book launch and, um, you know, great uh, hearing about just your thoughts uh, kind of from that state view um, as you've worked from your school view now to the state view. And it's always um, good to talk to somebody who's in education, who's not just at a school or district. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's been such a pleasure connecting with you, Dana. And I really do look forward to staying connected with you and our conversations along with everybody else out there who's interested to, to connect. Always happy to chat. Thank you so much. Great. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please read, leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.